Welcome to the Doug Russell Podcast, Packers Game Day Edition. It's the Packers and the Dallas Cowboys coming up on Sunday. I don't know if we all just misunderstood how porous and perhaps how thin this Packers team was as far as their talent is concerned, or if injuries have just played a bigger role than we had thought, or if we were all just... I don't know, kind of delusional about, well, I mean, the Packers went 13-4 and last year, and they won 13 games the year prior to that, and 13 games the year prior to that. How much of a difference can one guy, Devontae Adams, really make? I still don't know the answer to that, but hopefully we'll find out. Burke Griffin from WFRV-TV in Green Bay, he's going to join us coming up in just a a little bit. But this is more than just a Packers-Cowboys game, and these two teams obviously have a long history that dates back even before the Ice Bowl, but I think that's probably the most famous game between these two teams. You'll remember in the early 90s when the Packers were first starting to get really good, and the Cowboys were that bugaboo team. And that was the last, I guess, Cowboys dynasty that they had because it was the last time that the uh, newly bought by Jerry Jones Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl. They've been one of the most feudal teams in the postseason ever since those three Super Bowls in four years that they won. But their path to the Super Bowl always was one that involved the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers were uh, rarely more than a speed bump for this team until they got over that hump. And Green Bay, of course, won Super Bowl thirty one and went to Super Bowl thirty two, And that seems like a lifetime ago, and it kind of was. But for Cowboys fans, they haven't been to the Super Bowl since Super Bowl thirty. And that was in Phoenix. So uh, that was the Super Bowl that was played at Sun Devil Stadium against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's been a long time for them. But there was also, uh, remember the Jared Cook game from a few years ago? And was it a catch? Wasn't a catch from Des Bryant? There are a lot of great games that these two teams have played in the postseason. So that's one layer of it. Another layer of it, of course, is the fact that the Packers won their last Super Bowl 12 seasons ago at Dallas's stadium, at Jerry World. It was almost a brand-new stadium at the time, AT&T Stadium. I think it was called Cowboy Stadium at the time. But they were playing on their one of their postseason nemeses, one of their postseason rivals' home fields, and they wound up winning their 13th NFL championship in their fourth Super Bowl. So that adds another layer to it. And then the layer that we've all been talking about this week, the return of Mike McCarthy to Lambeau Field. And we all remember what happened when Mike McCarthy was let go by the Packers. We all remember kind of how that all went down. This is to be a 49-yard field goal attempt. Mason Crosby, career-long 58, as Larry mentioned. 53 the long this season. Hunter Bradley on the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here's the snap. Placement. Kick end over end to the uprights. And it is no good. Oh, my oh no. Oh, my and the Arizona Cardinals have defeated the Green Bay oh Packers 20-17. to 17. Oh, my. Oh. That's enough to make you sick. It went wide right. You know, in evaluating the season, I really felt that change was needed and kind of Mike's tenure had run its course. I think we needed a a new voice and it happens in our league. It was shocking because the Packers had never done that before. It was shocking because while in the 1950s they had a coach 
that resigned during the season. They had never fired a coach in season before. Of course, they fired coaches throughout the course of their history, but it was always at the end of the season. Whether it was Ray Rhodes after one season, and that surprised a lot of folks. I think Mike Sherman was very good as a head coach and wasn't so great as a general manager, but I thought he was a good coach, and I thought he deserved more than just one bad season when they went 4-12 and back in 2005, Aaron Rodgers' first season as a pro. So that was a little bit of a surprising uh, firing to me, and I don't know that it was surprising to a lot of other folks. But the way that it was handled, I think there were a lot of us that were talking about Mike McCarthy perhaps being let go at the end of the 2018 season, but nobody thought that it was going to happen during the season, but they were playing poorly. It reminded me a little bit, but not entirely, of earlier this year when the University of Wisconsin and their new athletic director, Chris McIntosh, decided to fire Paul Christ and then give the interim job to Jim Leonard. The only difference was the Packers really had no intention of elevating Joe Philbin to the full-time job. He was just the caretaker for the last four games of the season, whereas I think Chris McIntosh felt like he had his next coach in Jim Leonard. He just wanted to see how the team would respond. Now, obviously, at the University of Wisconsin, it's not unlike in the NFL because it's a public university and the NFL has the Rooney rule specifically, so you have to interview all kinds of candidates from all different kinds of backgrounds, which I think is a good thing, because if you don't do that, then you might miss out on a great candidate. But in the case of Jim Leonard, it kind of seems like if the team responded well to him, he was going to be elevated to the full-time job, and I think that's still what is going to happen at the end of this season. Uh, They've got their game on Saturday against Iowa, then three more games, and then the regular season is over. As far as the Packers, they're still playing for their playoff lives. And while it may seem, ah, come on, there's no way that the Packers have any chance of making it to the postseason, they're just about a little bit more than halfway through their season. And I'm not saying that the odds are stacked in their favor, because they most certainly are not, and so much of that is a self-inflicted wound. There were games that you had to win. And maybe the Giants are better than we thought they were at the beginning of the season. You could say the same thing about the Jets. Maybe you can say the same thing about the Commanders, although I don't think so. Maybe you can say the same thing about the Lions, but I don't think so. Remember the Lions, they had one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL, and the Packers were only able to muster up nine points. I think there's a lot of things at work that's going wrong with the Packers. Part of it, yes, is injuries. We'll get into that with Burke Griffin from WFRV-TV coming up in just a few minutes. That's a big part of it, there's no question, but you also don't want to make an excuse for the fact that Aaron Rodgers hasn't been playing great football by any means and by his standard and and he set that standard and he set it to be very high you could also say that the packers mismanaged the wide receiver position not necessarily this past off season if you look at what they did in the draft they traded up to get christian watson in the second round and then they spent a fourth round pick on romeo dobbs took a flyer on samari toure All quality players, and I think all of them are going to have really good NFL careers. I know Christian Watson's been banged up a little bit. He needs to stay healthy. He needs to get on the field. Uh, Romeo Dobbs is uh, out right now as well, but he's had some uh, flashes of brilliance early in the first half of the first season of his NFL career. But they've ignored it, Brian Gutekunst as the general manager. The Packers collectively have ignored this position for the last three years, and that's why you see them as thin at the position right now as they are. If you go back, I mean, I think this is a point that I've made both on the podcast 
and on the air. But if you go back to the last 30 years or so, there's always been a succession plan until the last three years. The succession plan, whether it was intentional or not, it started with Sterling Sharp, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL at that time. His career was cut short by a neck injury. Robert Brooks had a couple of good seasons, but he was there. And then it was Antonio Freeman. And then after Antonio Freeman, it was Donald Driver. And then after Donald Driver, it was Greg Jennings. And then it was Jordy Nelson. And, you know, Randall Cobb was in that mix. You remember the Sports Illustrated cover from about eight or nine years ago or so. And then it was Devontae Adams who blossomed into the NFL's best receiver. Had a rough start to the beginning of his career. But you know who else was there? Jordy Nelson was there. And Jordy Nelson was the number one guy for Aaron Rodgers. And then Jordy Nelson leaves. Aaron wasn't happy about the way that it happened. But Jordy then went on to the Raiders, had a mediocre season with the then Oakland Raiders, and then wound up retiring, and Devontae Adams continued to flourish in Green Bay. But there was no succession plan. Was it Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Well, it's not like the Packers locked him up before the beginning of the 2022 season because he was allowed to leave as a free agent to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. And fans weren't necessarily all that jazzed about MVS. He, at times, had a case of the dropsies. But how good would he look right now, a healthy MVS, in this Packers lineup right now. He would be, without question, the number one guy. So it's been ignored for the last three years or so because I think the prevailing thought was, well, 17's here, you don't need a succession plan. He's entering his prime right now. Well, we all know what happened with that. So that's why this team has been scrambling. Sammy Watkins, as much as I like Sammy Watkins personally, I love talking to the guy in the locker room. I think that he's a good veteran presence, but he's not getting it done on the field. Part of it is injury. I know that he's been slowed by a hamstring injury. Part of it is, quite frankly, I just don't think he's that good. I don't think he's that good as a, of an NFL wide receiver, at least at this stage of his career. I know he's had some flashes of brilliance. Um, I know he's got a Super Bowl ring, and that was one of his. It was probably going to go down as his crowning achievement as an NFL player, but at this stage of his career as a wide receiver, from what I've seen, he's just not that good. And that's what the Packers were kind of banking on when the season began. Well, no, we brought in a, we brought in a veteran wide receiver. We brought in Sammy Watkins. Didn't necessarily work out that well, uh, that well for the Packers. So those are my observations against you know what we all thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season. Everybody was wrong. I was certainly wrong. And I try to kind of ground myself in realism. What we've seen from the Packers so far this season does not look like a team that deserves to go to the playoffs and it deserves to have some serious looks at, you know, the entire roster and the coaching staff up and down by the end of the season. And I know that there are going to be some changes. Certainly there'll be some on the staff. I am not calling for Matt LaFleur's firing. I think that that's ridiculous. I think they could lose the rest of their games, and I still think that that would be ridiculous. I mean, this is a guy who's won 13 games three years in a row. I don't think all of a sudden he's forgotten how to coach. So I am am 100% advocating for LaFleur to come back next season. If I think a coach should go, I'm going to tell you, because I thought Paul Christ... I didn't know that he was going to go. I wasn't calling for his firing, but I also wasn't all that shocked when they did pull the trigger. It was only shocking because it was Wisconsin, but did Paul Chris deserve to be fired? Yeah, he did. 
for a number of reasons. I know this is a Packers-centric podcast, not a Badger-centric podcast, but if you look at the fact that, for example, there wasn't nobody in, in the recruiting office for eight months, and he kept hiring his buddies to be coaches, even though they weren't the positions that they played as active players. I, I like Al Johnson, personally. I've, I've talked to the guy on a couple of occasions. I think he's a really engaging personality. He's also an offensive lineman who's coaching running backs right now in Madison. That's an example. So did Paul Chris deserve to get let go? Yes. I don't think Matt LaFleur would deserve to let, to be let go if he is at the end of the season, but I don't, I, I don't see that. But one coach that was let go, of course, is coming back to Green Bay, and Mike McCarthy had a lot to say this week on Monday when he got in front of the Dallas media, as the Cowboys, 6-2 and two Cowboys, by the way, are coming off of their bye week. And uh, Mike McCarthy was asked, as you might suspect, about his return to Green Bay. Uh, emotional? Uh, no, I, I think really, I think it's just like anything in this league. You have to, you have to get ready to, to go win. And you know, that's really where my mind is as far as the game. I mean, you know, obviously... You know, I have great memories um, about about Green Bay, and you know, obviously spent spent a lot of time there. But you know, I mean, I'm, I'm four years removed uh, from from working there, and um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to taking our team up there. And, and you know, like I told them today in a team meeting, that you know, this is a this is a really cool place to compete. Um, so it's obviously you know uh, a lot like you know AT and T Stadium. I mean, we have a an unbelievable stadium that people enjoy coming to compete. That and it's uh, you know very similar up there. You know, obviously the history and tradition of Green Bay and Lambeau Field, and you know it's an experience that um, you know I want them to maximize. And but most importantly, we, you know we're going up here to win the game. Snyder Dixon with DAP. Have you been looking forward to this week? Dreading it? Both? Neither? Uh, it's here. I, I think it's more like that. Uh, you know, I, I think you know it's. I mean, you know, we're, we're in such a you know, when I, when I had obviously I had to think about it today because I was, I was coming into this wonderful session. But, uh, no, I, I just, you know, th- this is more about your family and your, and your friends. You know, I'm, you know, it, it, people will say, hey, when are you coming in? Like, you know, like I'm going to fly in Wednesday for the weekend. You know, I mean, it's, you know, we're going to get there Saturday at 5 o'clock like we always do. You know, and so so that part doesn't change for me personally. But, you know, I, I think this is more about your family and friends. Clarence Hill for Western Telegram. Speaking of your family and friends, how are you handling that? And, and I, you can compartmentalize it, but how they they can't. You know, your wife's from there and all the other stuff, and how are they dealing with it? Well, you're smiling like you're going to give me a loan for all the tickets I had to buy. I, 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 I thought that's where you were going with it. But, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, – you no, know, I mean, they're, you know, they're looking forward to it. I mean, they're for, looking forward to seeing friends and, and family getting together. But, yeah, it's uh, – but, it, you know, still they kids have school and, you know, it's a, you know it isn't like the whole world's going to stop for, for us to go back there or for them to go back there a couple of days. So, but, yeah, I, I, they're definitely looking forward to it. No motivation at all, no personal motivation for you personally. Just I, I really want to win the game. Is that, what you, is that enough? I mean, that's really where my mind's at, you know, so – um, like I said, I'm just here for you wonderful people and your incredible questions. Dewey so. <laughs> Scruggs, NBC5 Dallas. Um, you're the last coach uh, to win a Super Bowl for Green Bay. If there was a video tribute for you, the, the fans were clapping you for you, uh, how would that be received? The fans clapping? I'll take that. I mean, I, I mean I'm not going to – absolutely. I was, 
uh, you know, the Green Bay fans are very nice, and then we're expecting them to be nice Sunday afternoon. But uh, no, I, 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 I don't know. I haven't thought about that. That's you know, I'm, I'm you know, again, I'm, I'm going there to win. Any ending for any coach is always a little bumpy, mm-hmm. and yours was bumpy there. And there was a discussion about you and Aaron Rodgers and that relationship. How would you describe that relationship now? Uh, really looking forward to seeing Aaron. Uh, we've had great communication. You know, I've, I've nothing but. You know, love and, and gratitude for him. Um, I, I think, like anything in in life, I think personal relationships are, are private. I'm, you know, you got to remember I was born in the '60s, so I'm, I'm I'm being better at you know expressing myself publicly. And uh, so, but no, I, I um, you know just a whole lot of appreciation, not only for him but the players, the teams that we had there. I mean, we, you know, we had some you know great great times. Great moments, you know. Uh, when I think of him, I think of the, all the one-on-one conversations we used to have, especially in the younger days, and uh, it always ended with a hug and "I love you." So, and that, that's when I think about our relationship. Um, you know, I, I think he made me a much better coach. I mean, you're talking about a man that's, you know, one of the premier professional athletes of his generation. You know, just the, you know, I've spent the weekend watching him play. Uh, quarterback, he's still playing extremely high level. You know, just the fundamentals and just the way he plays. It's um, you know, um, he he deserves all the accolades that he receives. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And uh, was there other part of the question? I mean, that that was fine. Yeah. So good enough. Okay. Nick, coach uh, Nick Eatman, DallasCowboys.com. Obviously, the focus is on you as being the head coach going back to Green Bay. But you got a lot of assistants that coach there and yep. even played there. Do you sense that they're talking a lot of their excitement is, is about this as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's ten of us, you know, that that have spent time there. So I think it's just like anything, and you know, sometimes life gives you an opportunity to go full circle, uh, to go back and show how much you've grown, and that you know, and that's part of our. Con- contribution to 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 win in the game this week you know i mean we're thank god i'm not playing because we'd have no chance but uh you know i, I think you know you, everybody has a role um you want to do the best you can with that role and and you know any type of experience you know i, I think any time a team from you know this part of the country goes goes north you know you, there's a different you know the grass is different you know the weather's changing so you know you know i'm, I'm really focused on making sure our team is ready to do the things we need to do to win the game, you know, and just make sure they're ready for this stadium, you know, because, you know, a lot of our guys have never played there. So uh, no different than, you know, we go to other stadiums too. You know, I'm an expert in grass. You know, Clarence has told me so. So, I mean, I, I you know we spent time on the details of that, that, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I, all of us have, have, you know, we've talked about it briefly uh, this morning. And, you know, just, you know we, we all want to go there and win the game. Mike, um, how do you digest that when they let you go, they, they say, okay, we need a coaching change, and they bring him out on the floor first three years, he wins 13 games apiece. Do you take it personally? How do you, how do you process that? I, I don't know why anybody would take it personally. I mean, that, that's, that does, that's what this great game's about. It's about opportunities. You know, I think Mon, Matt's done an excellent job uh, with his opportunities. You know, you know, I was there 13 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. So, um, you don't ever stay the same in this in this in this game, especially as a head coach. You know, as a successful team, uh, you're either getting better or going the other way. So, um, you know, I, I really don't have any issue with the change. You know, um, I'm, I'm I think that's that's part of being in this league as long as I have. I mean, I think this is year 29. 
and you know I've, I've spent half of my career in Green Bay, so I, I think I have a pretty good grip on how things work, and, and but more importantly, how they work in this league. I mean, this this league's about having an opportunity and maxing it out. Because if you don't, then you know obviously something's going to change. You know, so um, you know the the exit, you know, it left a dent. Uh, just to be honest, you know, with with our family, but it's been four years. Uh, we're so much better because of it. You know, we've had it time to, 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 to process it all and, and it's a little unique I mean I, I don't recommend anybody that goes through it to stay in the town there you know, while you go through it um, but you know I, I think back is you know my year off you know I had a number of, of uh, knee surgeries and you know and I went to my, my rehab was there at Title Town Orthopedics right next to Lambeau Field don't recommend that either so I mean <laughs> four days a week but it's it's all part of it, you know. It's all part of it, and you know, obviously, our family has strong ties back there, and always will. Green Bay wasn't just a place you coached; it's mm-hmm. very much, you know, where you lived. And Jessica, a special place for her, for your kids. What about the area? Do you, and as a family, as a unit? Miss no, this is bullshit. You guys trying to make me cry? Individually, she asked me. Question about twelve person hour or something. He's like, what the? What the? Hey, God, I'm good. Yeah. What, as an individual, as a family, as a unit, what, what about Green Bay? Do you guys miss most? Would I miss most? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, I, mean, I think it's like anything, the people, and um, that's why I think it's been such a great transition for our family because our, our kids, um, you know, were obviously born there, raised there. But to come here in this experience, because I mean, I mean, a lifestyle in Dallas, Texas is incredible. I mean, this has been an incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a family. But, you know, uh, Jessica was born there. Kids were born there. (laughs) So people, Mr. People. Former Packers coach and Dallas Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy earlier this week. Now, on Wednesday, I was part of the media scrum uh, outside of Aaron Rodgers' locker inside the Packers' locker room. And not surprisingly, Aaron Rodgers was asked a lot about his former coach, Mike McCarthy. Aaron, you told Matt some great stories yesterday about Mike. What's the one thing that you'll kind of always think about when you think about him? There's a lot of things. Um, Getting sized the night before... The Super Bowl will always be a special memory. Um, that whole night, uh, we delayed the team meeting, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, because a couple guys were on the piano playing some songs, you just, and you just kind of felt that moment was special, and I appreciated you know, us delaying things and allowing that moment to exist and then getting sized for your ring, just the confidence uh, that, that we had and, and what that kind of statement meant was always really special. You know, uh, Mike and I started meeting uh, Thursdays after practice for many, many years. But like in uh, 2009 or 10, I think it was, and those were always fun. Those could go 30 minutes or four hours. Um, just start getting into story time. And um, it just bonded us, I think, over the years, those conversations, and I always appreciated that. Uh, I have a lot of gratitude for uh, the off-seasons that we went through. No, it was it was long. It was it was uh, obviously the rules are a little bit different, but that helped me become a better player, and I'll always be really thankful for that time, uh, in especially those early off seasons. You and he both, both talked about how you've communicated recently. When did y'all start kind of 
I don't know, rejuvenating that relationship to start communicating a little bit more, or did that happen? Well, you know, we're, we're both busy people with our schedules, and obviously he has uh, a lot of family commitments um, during the off-season. But uh, we've always kind of been in touch a little bit more, I'd say, the last year or so. Um, you know, I think as time goes by, the gratitude for that time as you look back on the journey of your career is, uh, you know, goes up a little bit, and you appreciate the little things a little bit more uh, because really this game and life is about the journey, and uh, I'll always be, uh, be tied with him. Uh, because of the connection that we had and the years we spent together. Uh, obviously, my longest tenured coach, longest tenured play caller. Um, thankful for those years and thankful maybe a little bit more as uh, the, the years go by. You spent 13 years with someone. That's a long time with anyone. Was mm. Talk about the gratitude. Was, was the gratitude when you're so close to the, to the person maybe harder to see when that relationship ended than, than it is now with the... Well, I think, Ryan, that's probably normal in any relationship that you have. You know, when you're able to uh, take time away and you have that separation, um, it's natural to look back and have a greater sense of uh, appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness for that time. Um, You know, I think comparison is definitely the enemy of joy, uh, so never want to compare this to that. I don't think that's fair to anybody involved, but um, I think it's normal, you know, to think about uh, the things that you really loved about that relationship or that style or that uh, program and just contemplate how special some of those moments were, how the journey, how the journey was really you know, the most important thing and, and the ups and downs. Thankful for the incredible moments, the highs that we had, and there were many of them. And thankful for the low moments too because it gives you perspective on uh, life. Life is not all about the... Uh, the beautiful ups. It's it's the downs that you learn the most lessons in, I think. Micah, Micah Parsons had two requests when he talked today. He said he wants to switch jerseys with you and also that he doesn't want to be chipped. What's the likelihood of each of those happening? Probably pretty strong uh, on the jersey swap. Um, probably not as strong on the other part. Aaron, when you look at your series with the Cowboys over the years, the memories you made in the playoffs and the regular season, how would you characterize that, and what will it mean to compete against Mike in this series against Well, not competing against Mike, competing against Mike's team, um, but a lot of good memories in that stadium. This is obviously going to be a different stadium, but uh, a lot of good memories down at, uh, at that stadium. Obviously, in Dallas in general, my first extended time, you know, playing down there on the old uh, crowned field was really special. And some great memories over the years, especially in the playoffs against those guys. Uh, even a great memory when I wasn't playing. We were down 26-3 to at halftime, and Flenny led us back on an incredible comeback. I remember the celebration in the locker room, especially the late Kevin Green uh, dancing. There's a great gif of that somewhere, I'm sure, that uh, was a special moment for us. But, uh, you know, I grew up a huge fan of the league, and Niners-Cowboys was a big-time rivalry, so I obviously grew up a Niner fan. Um, and then as uh, a lot of my favorite players transitioned, Green Bay and Dallas had a great rivalry over the years, and it's fun to uh, still be a part of this and to have some great memories against that team over the years. How many defensive players in the league can do what Parsons does in terms of from a couple different spots and still be as effective at each one? I don't know if there's anybody. You know, I think Dan does a great job of using him. They have a lot of different personnel packages. He's on the line of scrimmage in some of them. He's off the ball, drops some coverage. But he's got a lot of things that you just can't 
coach. I mean, you can emphasize, but uh, the effort that he plays with is incredible, and he's made some incredible effort plays where he's way out of the play. There's a play against the Lions. You know, he's way out of the play on the backside, and he runs the guy down and stops him on the one, and the next play they get a fumble and kind of turn that game around where they could have been behind after that play. Uh, and instead they're you know getting the ball there and it's a whole different ball game because he never gave up on the play and tackled the guy inside the one-yard line. And there's been multiple high-effort plays by him. Um, you know, I remember watching a little bit of the uh, hard knocks that they had, and I liked his disposition. I liked how coachable that he was. And he knew he was going to be a player just by the way they were talking about him and the stuff you saw in practice. But uh, he's definitely a, a one-of-one in this league. I don't know if there's anybody that's doing... Uh, as many things as they're asking him to do. Mike shed a few tears this week at his press conference. Is that different than the old Mike that you knew? Would he have ever done that? Or had, did he uh, get emotional ever when he was around here? Oh, he definitely did. Yeah, Mike's, you know, Mike's Pittsburgh toughness and grit on the outside and big soft teddy bear on the inside. And I think that's a great combination to have. Um, but there were definitely some tears over the years, both in you know team settings and also some one-on-one settings. Him and I definitely shed some tears over the years together in conversations. Um, usually happy tears, I would say. Uh, but, yeah, Mike's a big-hearted guy, and I'd like to see him let the emotions come out. What's the most memorable time that you guys maybe had some waterworks together? <sighs> there were a lot of real private conversations that we had over the years that, uh, that I just appreciated his honesty in, in some of those moments. Um, we had a, a really memorable uh, time in 2013 on Christmas, actually. I hit him up in the afternoon and said, hey, you know, once things are winding down with the kids, I'd like to come over and have a conversation with you. And so I went over. I think he had a couple Iron Cities. I can't remember exactly. I might have had one just to, you know, make him not drink alone, but I wasn't ever really an Iron City guy. But we had a long conversation about my desire to play in the following week against Chicago. And that was a really memorable conversation. Obviously, it was Christmas, and that has a whole you know, myriad of emotions it brings into it. But that time uh, and that conversation is always one that stands out for me. Mike has said over the years, and he said again this week, that the exit didn't sit well with him. He said it left it then in his family. I'm curious, how, how did the exit and the way that that happened sit with you? What happened on my birthday, for one, um, which was really strange. Uh, we came off a bad loss. I mean, we weren't a great team that year, but bad loss against a bad bad football team at home. Everybody was already down about that, a full house of people, you know, trying to put on a birthday party for me, and uh, that was a really strange night for sure. Um, when something like that happens and it's so jarring, you know, there's a state of shock that happens that I think kind of stuck with me for a while. I remember specifically there was a morning, one of the strangest parts about the whole thing was there was a morning like 7.30, and I'm coming in the stadium uh, off the freeway, and I'm on Lombardi at Ridge, and I look over to the left, and I see Mike in his truck. And it was a really weird feeling because it was one of the first times where it really, really sunk in, like, man, he's not the head coach anymore. Um I'm thankful for what Joe did. Joe brought him in uh, to talk to the team uh, after his firing. And I thought that was a special moment for him to have some closure. 
and for us to be able to hear from him. I remember when Mike Sherman was fired after 05, how strange that was to have him come in and address the team, but just how probably some there was a therapeutic nature to that for all of us. Um, but there was definitely shock and, and just like some numbness around it just because things have been status quo forever. He'd been head coach, I'd been quarterback, and that all changed you know, in a matter of minutes, and uh, it was a hard year on everybody. Aaron, looking at Detroit, we heard how you characterized some of the films on Sunday. Now that you've looked at the film and Tom's looked at the film with you, how would you characterize the performance, and where does that rank in, in those of your career? I had a couple bad throws for sure. I think overall, uh, you know, there were a lot of positive plays. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't the worst performance in my career, but there were a couple bad throws for sure. So what... You're so experienced at this and the psychology of sports, but I can't help but wonder if you're putting more on your plate. If, can you lead to being pressing or maybe even that leads to a slump when you're trying to carry more in, during this period? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think I've done that you know, as much as I can. I think as a leader, you got to try and make your teammates better and, and try and inspire them. And I don't feel like I've changed a whole lot of the way I've played. Uh, we just haven't made a lot of plays on offense. Aaron, you talked, you talked in the last month or so, possibly doing more, doing more with your legs or whatever. I'm wondering if you've ever considered the opposite, doing less, considering what you got around, doing less, doing things more just by the book, anything to that? I think that there's been more by the book this year than any year in my career, I would say, um, because we haven't had uh, the veteran group on the outside to handle really the position switches like we've had in, in years past where guys can play X, F, and Z and be interchangeable. So we've probably done a little bit less this year. Um, you know, I've played from the pocket, uh, you know, predominantly I think the last couple of years. There's been times in the last few weeks where I've tried to extend plays a little bit more. Um, not necessarily prompted by yourself and some of the questions you've asked, but, um, but because we've needed it, uh, I think I've I got to keep doing some of that stuff. Uh, you know, there are obviously a couple runs in the game that help us out, but uh, it all comes down to timing. If we're open on time, the ball comes out. If we're not open, you know, I got to extend some plays, and that's where the mental awareness has to come in. Do I got to deal it, or can I extend plays and, and use my legs a little bit? Here, generally in midseason, generally good or bad. Are you, are you building upon as a team what you've done to this point, or are you rebooting week to week, and does that change given the circumstances now? I think there's a lot of resetting going on for sure. Um, you know, we don't have a lot to build on offensively. We haven't, you know, put up a lot of points. Then last week I felt like we moved the ball pretty effectively, both in, you know, regular offense and some tempo offense. And so that's good to build on, but situation football has hurt us all season. We've been... You know, real average on third down and, and worse than that in the red zone, it feels like. And that's kept us from scoring points. And, and our defense has had some stretches where they played pretty good. You know, they hold them to 15 points. We should win all those games. And it's come down to us executing in the red zone. And then third down, we've been a little bit better the last couple of weeks, but uh, nowhere near good enough. Going back to the offense. Help me out with this, okay? If I'm completely wrong, please tell me. I will. I know you will. That's part of our charm. Um, you've talked all the time about, there's a, and then there's the offense, how you run. 
you also talked about how you and Matt collaborated and how you guys have built your own version of this offense. And it worked great in two MVP seasons with a bunch of experienced guys around. What would happen if you ran the offense exactly how Matt designed it? Like it's designed for a guy who's not as good as you, right? This is the offense that's kind of like idiot. And any quarterback can run it and be pretty productive if it's run just with the paint-by-numbers approach. What if you, Possibly. Is that, is that fair or not? If, I'm wrong, if anything I'm saying is wrong, tell me. I will. Keep going. I'll okay. tell you you're wrong. So, so how about you take a two-time, back-to-back, four-time NFL MVP who's surrounded by a bunch of guys, whether they're veterans or young guys who don't quite know what they're doing, like Devontae and Jory and everybody else, and you ram it by the book and you saw what they could do. Explain to me why that's a bad idea. I think it has been by the book a bunch. I think that's where you know, maybe you have the ideas a little bit off. It has been very by the book. I think the struggle has been how do we make it by the book but not robotic. You know, when it's robotic, uh, it, you know, unless you have a perfect scheme that's paired up with the perfect defense for that scheme, it's not going to be open. So I think that's where... Um, you know, the little details come in where we're not trying to be robotic. Obviously, we're trying to run the plays by the book. We're not going way outside the offense. I'm not going way outside the offense um, unless we're in a two-minute situation and there's something that I've seen that that, that I'm calling that, that uh, you know, might be an ode to years past based on uh, the, look, the looks that we're getting. But we're not going outside the offense. We just we're a little too robotic at times, I think, and then the details on some of the things aren't showing up consistently where – you know, there may be on paper route stems, and sometimes the robotic is going to work. You know, there were multiple plays in the game where if we do the robotic part of that, if we do the day one teaching, if we take the proper steps, we have a big play, but it's not showing up. Um, so it's a fine line between the robotic uh, schematics at times, which can scheme people open, and then the ability to leave room for instincts now when you're playing with the Devonte adams you leave a lot of room for instincts because he's able to do a lot of things that other guys just can't do you don't have that you obviously lean on the scheme but you still have to understand the details so we're not just out there going through the motions we still have to leave room for the instinctual part of the game to kick in for some of our guys so you know again i, I don't know if there's an idea that we're going way outside the system i don't think that's the case i think we've been more by the book this year than we have been you know, in any year that Matt's been here. So when you tell Pat that there's still a lot of mental mistakes, and that totally makes sense because they're whether it's Sammy who's new here or young guys, what else can you do to reduce them? Because we all we've heard you talk about how many there are, but they still seem to be the same number. If I knew, we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it's the same. It's the same stuff. Though. I mean, I don't. It's a lot of. Some of it is day one teaching. You know, it's. They want to install some of the stuff that we just need to, in the moment, be able to hearken back to those things. And then, you know, you almost want that to be robotic in those situations where if you have a seven-step cut, you can't cut at five. You're not going to be open. Um, so it's, it's about the details. It's about the preparation. It's about the details. And, and uh, I don't have a great answer for you because we've been trying a lot of different things. To the coach's credit, they've been trying a lot of different ways of teaching and installing and interaction and group discussions and just has to come down to when we hit in the fire we got to you know we got to make the right plays every single time because we're just not good enough right now to have those little tiny mistakes because it's taken us you know 
where big plays are possible, you know, if we're not on the right timing, we're not going to have any success doing those things. How much of line, Taryn? It's um, you probably just answered some of this, but you know, you and Goody and, and Matt, even through training camp, but still, offensively, a work in progress. Um, where have you seen progress over the last three months? Has there been because from the way outside where I sit, there's been almost none. Obviously, you have a much different perspective than I have, though. Well, I think I think practice habits for one. I think we've seen better practice habits from some of the young guys. Um, I think 83 has shown some progression for sure, uh, especially the last few weeks of making some plays, and and that's directly tied to his practice habits. Um, you know, I haven't called him Captain Casual in weeks. He's been really practicing his balls off and and doing a good job. Um, but I think a lot of it's just health, Bill. I really do. I mean, that's not. I'm not going to lean on that as a major excuse, but we haven't, you know, had our repertoire of all of our receivers, and we just haven't been uh, consistent enough to move the ball consistently without those guys. Throw you throw more for... on, the, on the outside extension. Do you want him to come back to the ball on that, or is that which one on the on the extension where he came across the field? Is, do you want him to come back to the ball on that, or is that an underthrow on your part? I mean, I feel like it was a little low. Uh, at the top, it seemed like he could have maybe come more negative when he was coming across the field. Maybe he lost a little bit of ground, but it's still a throw I probably feel like I should hit. Some of, the, some of these throws that you label throws, how much, it's not like you lost your arm talent when you're in the max. How much of this is just when you can't trust that the details are going to be crisp? Does that make it harder to throw the ball where you want it every single time? I don't know about that. I mean, I think it's uh, that might play into a little bit of it, but I think it's uh, there's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, but uh, it's hard to put on just one thing. You've had been out there last Wednesday. Any difference in the thumb? Are you still planning to be out there tomorrow Friday? Or? Yeah, I'll be out there tomorrow. I just I threw last week and didn't feel like uh, it was a positive for me going into Sunday. So um, felt like today was. Uh, uh, better to just do rehab up here than go down and and, uh, and watch practice once the team started, but it was better for me to get that hour and a half in up here than down there throwing a the football. Hey, there were a couple plays where you had guys running down the seam that didn't pull the trigger on the two What did you see on the Well, one, one I probably should have pulled the trigger on DeGuara um, you know, the timing was a little bit off on that one. Uh, still probably should have thrown it. Uh, the other one, uh, we weren't quite uh, running the proper route, and it turned out it looked like it was open, but because the spacing was way off, um, you know, it kind of messed with my eyes a little bit. Uh, you know, after I looked left and Bobby... You know, was kind of running in the middle, and so was Allen. They're almost side by side, and both kind of open. Um, just the spacing was off, so it kind of messed with me a little bit. And I looked outside and had to dirt it. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers at his locker earlier this week. As we continue on with our Packers preview edition here on the Doug Russell Podcast, it's time now to check in with a longtime friend uh, that uh, I've known for almost, well, no, over 30 years uh, now. He is Burke Griffin from WFRV-TV, a former classmate of mine at UW Oshkosh. We worked together back in the day on Titan TV, uh, and he's been holding it down for WFRV-TV in Green Bay, their longtime sports director, and he's covered this team for a long, long time, and he joins us here on the Doug Russell Podcast. Burke, I appreciate the time. How are you today? Good. 
Doug, it seems a long time ago that we graduated in, what, 1995? So this would be year 27 covering this team. My first media credential, actually, I kept it and I framed it, and it's in my office right now. It's actually from the year prior to that. It's from the preseason of 1994 when they still played at County Stadium. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a, a whole box of credentials that I've just kind of thrown them into. My first one would have been Packers-Bears, 95, Brett Favre, 35-28, five touchdown passes, and he had a foot wrapped up like a pumpkin. Okay. That yep. was memorable as well. I remember a lot of bike had been going on there. <laughs> no, no kidding. And I, the thing that I remember about covering a game at County Stadium is there are a couple of things. Number one, because I was such a young Cub reporter, they gave me a single game ticket and what they called a dressing room pass. And they the the single game ticket was for the uh, last row of the upper deck. That's how they let you right. cover it way back in, in the day at County Stadium. And how small the Brewers clubhouse was for the Packers. Those are the things yeah. that I remember from way back then. Before that was actually before we graduated from UW Oshkosh back in good grief, nineteen ninety five. Well, you and I were talking uh, before the interview began for just a moment about the last time there was a five-game losing streak in Green Bay. And this dates all the way back to Aaron Rodgers' first year as starting quarterback back in 2008. So this it's not unprecedented, but it's been a minute. Yeah, and if you remember back then, I mean, that team was – it was – I wouldn't say falling apart. But you knew Mike McCarthy had his hands full because of the departure of Brett Favre. And there were a couple other key guys who, who left the building at that time. And they started out all right. I mean, they were 5-5, five and five, and then just everything went downhill from there. They were 5-10 and 10 and finished the year, you know, 6-10 and 10 in 2008. And if you go back behind that, I mean, really, Mike Sherman's last year in 2005 where they went 4-12 and 12, is the last time you got to find this much futility this late in the season. I mean, yes, they did it in 2016, run the table. They were four and six, finished 10 and six, got to the NFC championship game and then got ran out of the building by uh, the Atlanta Falcons. They just didn't have anything left. Uh, they squeezed as much blood out of that rock as they say, but, but right now it is dire straits. And if you fall the three and seven and you've got a short week where you got to face Tennessee, you get a mini buy, but then you, face a Philadelphia team that is undefeated right now and looks like the best team in the NFL, this that does not bode well heading toward December. I'll get back to the Packers in just a moment, but there's the other storyline this week, of course, and that is Mike McCarthy returning to Green Bay for the first time. I mean, he's been to Green Bay. He lives, still has a home in the Green Bay area, lived in Green Bay the year after he was fired uh, four years ago. But yeah, it's been almost to the day four years since he was let go after that debacle against the Arizona Cardinals at Lambeau Field. How much of a storyline has this been, and how much do you think the players have appreciated, especially Aaron Rodgers and some of the older guys, how much do you think they've appreciated having this other storyline to talk about and to be asked about this week as opposed to this five-game losing skid? You know, Doug, on Tuesday night I had uh, Dean Lowry on my locker room show, which can be seen in the Milwaukee market, just so you know. Um, the, the, I would say the overwhelming opinion is this. But there's only a handful of guys left, from Kenny Clark to David Bakhtiari, Mason Crosby, who actually played for Mike McCarthy. That's how much roster turnover happens within the NFL, especially with this team and a new regime taking over three years ago when Matt LaFleur stepped on board. 
I Dean said it about as good as you could. Love the guy, great coach. Didn't do a lot with our defense, but he's a guy that I if if I see him, I give him a big bear hug, and if he wants to have a beer, we'll go have one. You know, he's he's still generally liked by a lot of people within the community here in Green Bay. There's no question about it. Whether it's the guy working at the grocery store or one of the guys, the circle of seven, as they like to call it, on the the main board of directors. Um, he he was normal all the way back to 1999 when he was Ray Rhodes' quarterback coach. What you see is what you get with Mike McCarthy. And I think that's where it's kind of like the ex-wife or the ex-girlfriend that maybe the two of you thought that everything would be better apart. I think maybe Aaron Rodgers has a little bit of that with Mike McCarthy when it comes to the way he coached and his style and system. And I guess that longing can be, you know, a little bit false because, you know, the grass is always greener. Um, but, but Mike, I, I do not expect anybody to boo because, look, he was fired. It's not like he left like Mike Holmgren for greener pastures and more money. Well, yeah, let's talk about Mike Holmgren for just a second because when he came back with the Seattle Seahawks or I guess maybe the most fa- uh, famous example is when Brett Favre came back as a member of the Minnesota Vikings. I was standing on the field right next to the visitor's tunnel and I was kind of looking up. Is Nobody's going to throw anything, are they? And obviously nobody did. But, yeah, this is an entirely different type of proposition. And it, it's I think that distinction that you talk about the fact that he didn't leave on his own accord and has only said the most glowing things about his not only his time with the Packers, but the community as well. I mean, he feels like someone, I know he's from Pittsburgh, but you know, the people in Pittsburgh and the people in Wisconsin are very, very similar. And I think that, that the yeah. Packers fans really uh, appreciated that, and that was one of the reasons that he was, especially when they were winning, so popular. Yeah, and you know what? I sat in a news meeting this week and early on, and well, they wanted to know how much we should approach this topic and Mike McCarthy versus Aaron Rodgers. And I go, no, 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 no. That, that, isn't, that isn't it at all. There, Aaron Rodgers is not looking for revenge against Mike McCarthy in any way, shape, or form. That said, Mike McCarthy wants nothing more than to walk into Lambeau Field <laughs> and kick the Packers' tail. There's no question about that. He has no ill will against any of the, the people of the community. There are certain people within the building, and it's pretty easy to figure out who those people would be that I'm sure Mike would have a beef with. But uh, he has, look, it's a business trip. He's not flying in early. He's coming in Saturday. They're going to land around 5 p.m., like he said, get ready to play a huge game on Sunday, get on the plane by 9 o'clock and go head back to Dallas. One more aside about Mike McCarthy before we'll move on to this Packers team right now. My most indelible memory, and you and I were both at the Super Bowl in Dallas 12 years ago. It's hard to believe that it was 12 years ago. But my, my most indelible memory will not be of that night with Mike McCarthy. It was a few years later, and it was after, I think it was even a preseason game. It wasn't even a regular season game. It was early in, if it was a regular season game, it was very early in the year. But I was still doing work in the media auditorium, which is right next to the tunnel and it's kind of between the tunnel if you've never been on the tour or you don't cover the team like Burke or I. uh, It's between the tunnel and the locker room. And I was just doing some work in there like two hours after a game. And Mike McCarthy came in with his then very young daughter. I'm not even sure how old she is now, but she was maybe two or three at the time. And he's carrying her pink little backpack 
in one hand and holding her hand in the other because she wanted to see where daddy talked to the TV people. And yeah. and I I think I was one of three reporters that were still in there because he looked a little startled that we were even in there. But it was just a dad moment. And it, it really humanized Mike McCarthy to me because we saw the, the gruff football coach sometimes. But, but in that moment, it was he was just another dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that human side is uh, something that everyone can relate to. I mean. Something as simple as getting thrown out of a, one of his son's <laughs> basketball games oh, yeah. for arguing a call wow, that's with true. the referees. <laughs> and, you know, and like, who hasn't wanted to do that? And you, here's a guy who, at the time, was making you know five or you know whatever he had been making five to six million dollars a year, and he feels the same way yelling from the bench <laughs> up in the stands on a wooden bleacher about a call. And, and and that was the, the human side of, of, of Mike McCarthy is what people identified with. Because you know what? Look, big guy, like you mentioned earlier, Pittsburgh, very similar to the Midwest. It's a, You know, I get the East Coast thing, but Pittsburgh is definitely different than Philadelphia. Oh, without a doubt. Two, two different worlds. And uh, so I think that's where, you know, it's the human side that people identify with with him. Burke Griffin from WFRV-TV Channel 5 in Green Bay joining us. All right, let's talk about this matchup between the Packers and the Cowboys. You look at Dallas, you look at their 6-2 and two record, you look at the fact that they're coming off the bye, you look at the playmakers that they have on both sides of the ball. I look at specifically defensively, you look at Micah Parsons and you're like, oh boy. I mean, this this is a young player that they just move all over the field, and he's a special talent. Oh, without question. I don't even know who you try comparing to. People say Lawrence Taylor, but you know Lawrence couldn't cover like tight. Well, he could cover tight ends, but sometimes like the blitzing and the movement, and sometimes he's on a big wide receiver. I I, I just don't. I, I there's no true comparison to the guy. And as of right now, I don't know who you would give defensive player of the year to beside him. Um, just so versatile and can create matchup nightmares for anybody. And this is where the Packers' offensive line and their tight end group should definitely be wary. And I wouldn't be surprised if you ever see wherever Mercedes Lewis is going, they're going to double team and chip them every single play they can. Now, the rest of the team, and this is where you have to look at Dallas a little bit differently, they've had a, you know, a two-headed monster with Zeke. And Tony Pollard, and they're two completely different running backs. They're very much like, I wouldn't say A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. I'm saying you have two distinctive type of runners. And, you know, C.D. Lamb, I mean, Dalton Schultz at tight end, and between Gallup and Brown and a couple of the other guys that they throw the ball to. With Dak Prescott back, I mean, he's not, I wouldn't say an MVP, but he's a top 10 quarterback when he's on and when he's right. And they're six and two for a reason. Cooper Rush played extremely well in his absence. So, you know, McCarthy's got a luxury there in having two guys that he feels comfortable with. And, and you got even, hey, former Badger Jake Ferguson playing some decent ball uh, for those guys down there right now. So, I mean, it's going to have to be, it doesn't have to be perfect. But it's going to have to be close for Green Bay to win this game. I do wonder, though, with Jake Ferguson, now that he's in the NFL, if he's still Barry Alvarez's grandson. We'll have to check on that. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> well, and, and it, it, 
Wait, did Braylon Allen turn 18 yet? Burke <laughs> 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 Griffin from WFRV, longtime sports director uh, in Green Bay, joining us uh, as the Packers get set to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Let's talk about the Packers for just a moment. Three and six on the season. I don't make predictions generally game to game because I think they're pretty useless. But the, at the beginning of the season, I think most of us thought that this Packers team was a contender. Were we just historically off? Were we deluding ourselves? Or did something during the season, in your opinion, go horrifically wrong for this team? Well, no one's going to point the finger or lay claim to one reason, but injuries have plagued this team. And I think right now, when you look at the number of different combinations that they have used on the offensive line. And I know Green Bay and Wisconsin is a place where people appreciate offensive linemen because they produce so many of them, whether it's Wisconsin or, you know, even in you know, the white waters of the world. And, and, and it's just, you don't have any continuity. David Bakhtiari's in, he's out. Elton Jenkins is on right tackle. Now let's move him to left guard. Oh, wait, he's got to play left tackle. And I jokingly said, because I remember during training camp, shooting the breeze with him, and I said something along the lines of, I said, you know what, I, said, I played center and left tackle in college. And he, go, and he kind of smiled. He goes, that means it's sport. I go, well, I wouldn't go that far. I said, but if you can move the and you know the defense, you can play those two spots in particular. Well, they got Zach Tom playing right guard now. Um, that kind of versatility is great, but there's no – and when everybody was running, like preaching, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, that's all you got to do is set up the play-action pass. Give Aaron Jones 20 touches a game. Well, if you give him too many touches, eventually guys wear down, and I think we're starting to feel a little of that. And when you don't have success in the football, you will not have any success with your play-action game. And guess what? If you're running out of shotgun all the time, you, and you don't run stretches and certain plays to set up the play action you become one-dimensional and i think that's where this offense has kind of gone and that's where teams are starting to figure it out and part of Aaron Rodgers' frustration is is matt lafleur has in the past always schemed guys open by using multiple motions and multiple sets well that takes that out of the game and it changes how you do things out there all right, thanks, Burke. There he goes, Burke Griffin, WFRV-TV Sports Director, joining us here on the Doug Russell Podcast. That'll do it for the show. Don't forget, coming up Sunday morning at 10 a.m., it is Packers game day with me live from Bart Star Plaza right outside of the Rush Center, which is across the street from Lambeau Field, just across Oneida from Lambeau. And we're also just across Armed Forces Drive from the Don Hudson Center. You won't be able to miss us. If you're going to the game, stop by and say hello. Mark Daniels from WNFL Radio in Green Bay. He'll join me live uh, on the set starting at 11 a.m. on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and throughout the entire state of Wisconsin or worldwide on the iHeartRadio app, which is also where you can get this show for free as well. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one.